Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, our purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for His sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome to Lose Yourself. My name is Dr. Mike Cunningham, and I'm so glad you could join me for today's program. We continue in our series in the book of Philippians. We began with a background of this book, which included that this mission began as a detour in Acts chapter 16, where Paul was rerouted from an Asian trip to establish the first church in Europe. We saw his obedience in taking on this challenge in a patriotic Roman enclave. His team was less than stellar. That included an Asian businesswoman named Lydia, a blue-collar prison guard, and a demon-possessed girl. They developed a deep bond, inspiring Paul to say, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. In the transition from chapter 1 to chapter 2, Paul instructs this fledgling church on the issues of living together in humility. Last week, we discussed the traits of consolation, love, fellowship of the Spirit, compassion, concern for another's joy, and humility. Believers were instructed to have a sense of like-mindedness and share the joy that only comes from Christ. This week, we pick up in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This section is far and away one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It influences and encapsulates what Lose Yourself as a program is all about. How often do we see celebrities, politicians, people of influence and importance watch them self-grandize, self-promote, and exhibit egotistical behavior? In Christ, we see someone who is so much more. This passage will dig deep into the theological foundations of Christ's nature, yet it will also inspire us in his example and the way that he lived on earth. Christ is the ultimate model of humility, and he did so in these passages. Before we begin, let me ask you, are you a prideful or humble person? Do you, like our cultural icons, seek self-promotion and adulation? This passage allows us to examine ourselves and see whether or not we live by Christ's example. Picking up at verse 5, let's read. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There is so much to unpack from this text, so let's dig in. Starting in verse 5, Christ is the supreme example of humility, and that should influence the way we behave and interact with our culture. Verse 6 talks about He is the very nature of God. These first two verses lay a foundation 
and we need to take a minute to consider the theological implications of these verses. Wu says, the lack of humility among Philippian saints became the occasion, perhaps the greatest Christological passage in the New Testament that sounds the depths of the incarnation. That's heavy stuff. This theological concept is meant to be understood. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says that we have the mind of Christ. We should observe Christ's examples and find our inspiration in it. In verse 6, this comes to a head when it talks about Christ taking the very nature and form of God. This describes the pre-incarnate existence of Christ, who is not a created being. He has always been in existence. That means he pre-existed the birth in the manger. Jesus did not come as a baby and come into existence at that point. In his pre-existent form, he has always been there, but he came, took on flesh, dwelt among us in the incarnation. And I've always said, the incarnation is absolutely central to our faith. That without the incarnation, he's just a good person. But with the incarnation, we see God taking on form, walking among us, and giving us our example, and most important, our redemption. As Christians, we spend a lot of time discussing the sacrifice that Christ gave on the cross, how his torture and crucifixion were so unjust considering his perfect life. But I submit to you that even the incarnation was a humiliation, that God just taking on our form, living among us, living a sinless life as our example, is something that we should be very mindful of, and it should inspire our daily lives, and that our lives should be an act of worship to him because of this example. So to, in review of that, Christ is not subservient, not a created being, not in any way finite, but he is our Savior. Barclay adds, that the Greek verb describes his existence as one that cannot be changed. Therefore, this gives context to the passage. For example, what do we care if some human being expresses the models and lifestyles of humility? It's one thing for someone of humble origins and humble means expresses humility. It's quite another thing for an eternal, all-powerful, omnipotent Christ to take on the form of a human, bear that humiliation, and live this way. This Christological example is unfathomable in some ways. Friend, have you ever had your feelings hurt? Have you ever been disrespected and felt that you deserve justice? This passage gives us the perspective because, again, Christ comes incarnate, lives a sinless life, performs acts of service and humility, models servant leadership, when he doesn't even have to. The people of this era should be bowing down and worshiping him. But that's not Christ's purpose. Christ did not expect that kind of treatment. In verse 7, it says he emptied himself and became a man. The Enduring Word commentary talks about some of the specifics of what that meant. He was born into an obscure, oppressed place. He was born into poverty among despised people. He was born as a child instead of just appearing as a man. He took on the trade of a builder. He launched into public ministry. The disciples that he chose were not your prototypical followers. He endured temptation. He endured being tired. He endured the personal relationships. 
yet he was obedient to his heavenly Father, submitted to the Holy Spirit, and even endured death on the cross. And even death of the cross was not enough. The humiliation, the taunting, was in some cases as painful as the crucifixion process itself. But friend, in that we find our hope. In those actions, he conquers sin for us. He pays the substitutionary price for our sin. He justifies us, all who believe, all who come to him. This is so important because, yes, we can draw much amazing inspiration from this passage, but you're missing the point if you just see Jesus as an ideal figure to emulate. We are to emulate him, but that's not the whole point. The point is that's what it took to defeat sin. That's what it took to save us from our sin. And he did that for us, friend. Ooh, how are we going to respond to that? Are we to casually accept grace or are we to just ignore it altogether? Friend, if you do that, you're going to miss God's grace. And what awaits you is not pleasant. But friend, if you have embraced God's grace, if you've embraced Christ as your Savior, that is how much love, that is how much humility, that is how much grace that has been extended to you. Grace being unmerited favor, a gift that you cannot earn, a gift that you cannot deserve, that was emulated by Christ in these actions. And so friend, first of all, if you've not received Christ as your Savior, I recommend you do so today, this moment. Here are some additional passages on this subject. 1 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake he made himself to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3, 18 adds, For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. I love how these verses add context to what Christ has done. In Philippians 2, we see the humility with which Christ came, but we also see his exaltation, and most importantly, we see how this was sufficient, and according to these two passages, sin has been defeated once and for all for those who believe. So friend, as you walk through life as a Christian, know that you walk in victory. You don't have to live in fear. And that perspective allows you to then walk in humility and follow Christ's example. At the same time, this passage is not just going to be about the theological grounding of our salvation. Some might be reading going, well, what's the point? Did, God, did Jesus just end as a defeated humble person? What differentiates Christ from those who've also been humble in their lifetimes and been done some good deeds? Well, friend, let me read that last part to you. Let's pick up. Let's finish these verses. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, friend, that humble servant is the King of Kings. 
again, this heady theology, it takes time to, to break this down and understand it and apply it. But I want to leave you with today is that, first of all, to realize who Christ is, what he did for us, and what he is doing now and will do in the future. That's the part that we miss so much in our culture. We just like to make Christ a philosopher or an ideal image of a person when he is so much more. He's returning. If you go to Revelation, your view of Christ is incomplete without that, under that glory, without that perspective, that Christ is all-powerful. And friend, we should live our lives in a way that worships him in his example. We should receive his grace. We should walk in him. We should tell people about him. And most importantly, we should look forward to this coming King of Kings, the same Christ that endured all of that on our behalf is coming back. And in him, we find our hope. So friend, today, I leave you with this. I don't know where you are in terms of your pride versus your humility. Sometimes we see humility as weakness. And yes, there's times that we have to take hard stands in our life. This is not an excuse for avoidance, but standing firm for our faith means that sometimes standing in the face of persecution, but with dignity and the grace that Christ showed, knowing that he is in control and we are not. There's a lot to unpack today. I wish I had more time, but friend, I ask you to walk in Christ's example, walk with your prayer, your devotion, your spiritual disciplines, to tell others about him and to wait expectantly for the King of Kings to come back. Have a great day, and we'll see you on the next episode of Lose Yourself. This has been Lose Yourself. Lose Yourself is a teaching ministry of Bible teacher, Dr. Mike Cunningham. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a production of Key Radio.